You're listening to the Battle of Ontario with Callum Fraser and Alec Brownscope. Well, 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 look at the two series we have on the go in Ontario right now. After losing Game 1 in heartbreaking fashion, the Toronto Maple Leafs have won two straight in overtime to take a 2-1 series lead over the President Trophy winning Washington Capitals. And also, after losing Game 1 in heartbreaking fashion, and also having won two straight games in overtime, the Ottawa Senators also lead their series with the heavily favored analytical darlings, the Boston Bruins, by a count of 2-1 to also. What a few days it has been for both of these teams and both of these series. Now to talk Leafs and Caps, Peter Hassett of Russian Machine Never Breaks joins us on the line right now. Peter, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Now, give us a sense of where the Washington fan base is right now, because Obviously, heavily favored in the series. You're down 2-1 to one right now. What is the panic level at? Uh, so, I, I begin by saying that the Washington Capitals fan base is accustomed to the kind of miserable slog that we're experiencing in, in Washington right now. Uh, this is par for the course for the Capitals in the playoffs. That said, after two games which were you know, on a razor's edge, even games where it could have gone either way, what we saw in Game 3 was distinctly and sharply disappointing from the Capitals' effort, especially in that third period. So there's a lot of folks who, who you know, in the fan community who have questions about what's going on with Alex Ovechkin, what's going on with the matchups. Uh, you know, do the Caps have what they need on the roster and in tactics to come back? And, and there's, there are no certain answers right now. There's way more questions than there are answers. And Peter, before we delve in a bit into some of those issues you mentioned with, with the Capitals, it's curious to get your take and what your sense is of the Capitals uh, fan base's take on what has stood out or perhaps surprised you a little bit about the Leafs that maybe is a little bit above what you expected uh, through three games. Yeah, well, going into the series, and, and me and my folks were not as, let's say, arrogant as maybe some of the uh, the pundits and experts out there might have put the series as, you know, like, as far as like confidence and percentage chance for the Capitals sweeping god forbid the series uh we you know, were expecting a longer series but that said you know the, the characterization of, of the leafs coming into this from games we had seen uh you know during the season and, and from other reputation beyond that is a team that likes the high game pace and we certainly have seen that you know you know 120 shots per 60 minutes and, and five on five lots and lots of action um but what we haven't seen was what we expected which was the leafs to be faulty uh on their own end of the ice uh, and we haven't seen uh, what we had hoped to see, which is uh, a goalie which could not, who could not maintain his uh, his torrid end of the season pace uh, in, in Freddie Anderson. Uh, so what we were, you know, expecting was a young team that was energetic and fast paced, but didn't have all the tactics down. And uh, Mike Babcock has uh, made fools of you know Caps and those expectations. And Peter, one of the interesting things to watch going into this, in, uh, sorry, so far in the series, is just how sort of that deep Leafs attack that's so young and so skilled is matching up against what is also a deep but sort of an older, more experienced and not necessarily the fastest decor in the league, I think it would be fair to say. And the Leafs obviously are giving them some fits right now with their quickness on the forecheck and in the cycle game. Are you sort of seeing that as one area where the series is being decided right now? I would say that's the the most crucial area where the series is being decided. Uh, you know, especially up against uh, like the the Nylander line, 
the Capitals have tried to put Larry, like Evgeny Kuznetsov, Marcus Johansson, Justin Williams line out there. Uh, and, you know, that's probably the Caps' best possession line. They're, they get the lowest, um, you know, uh, opponent shot attempt rate when they're out on the ice, uh, even though, you know, Justin Williams is old enough to be a couple of those players' dads. Uh, <laughs> but the, what, what, it hasn't ended up working, I think, perhaps because uh, Barry Trotz has rolled out a defensive pair that, to your, to your point, is not mobile enough. I mean, we, we saw John Carlson and Carl Olsner, uh in, in uh, games one and two uh, go up against that line a fair bit, and they were getting roundly smoked. You know, John Carlson's not a, a slow skater, but Carl Olsner is, and he's, he's lost a step this season. And, and uh, you know, uh, Nate Schmidt's in the lineup for him in games uh, three and four, which may be a blessing in disguise, uh, blessing in disguise because Schmidt's a lot more mobile. Uh, but ultimately, it, it probably would be a better matchup for Barry Trotz, and I think he'll, he'll probably make this adjustment for game four to have uh, Dmitry Orlov and Matt Niskanen, two very mobile skaters, uh, and, and would be faster and, and perhaps a little bit more tenacious along the boards where some of those cycles or some of those uh, rush goals have, uh, have you know, uh, burned the caps. We saw that, that sort of miserable uh, 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 Kevin Shattenkirk and, and Brooks Orpik play below the goal line to uh, set up, I think it was Hyman, uh, uh, for uh, the goal uh, in Game Three, and that, that just shouldn't happen again. And with uh, smarter matchups and some tactical tweaks, it, it might not. And obviously, in terms of tweaks, one of the things catching a lot of attention as far as uh, Barry Trotz's bench management was Ovechkin playing. I think it was just 15 and change. Correct me if I'm wrong. And that's obviously raising alarms among Capitals fans like yourself, I'd imagine. And it seems like he kind of got bogged down a little bit in some of the situational matchups and ultimately didn't get his elite, his most elite talent over the boards enough, even though he scored early and seemed to be going. So I imagine as a fan, there's sort of nothing more frustrating than, than, than losing and then seeing sort of your elite talent is playing about two, more, two minutes more than your fourth line. Yeah, um, I think there may have been some extenuating circumstances, but I'm, I'm certainly worried by it as well, you know, especially in that third period, and uh, um, Obi didn't see the ice in overtime. Um, there... There were so many penalties that uh, special teams were out uh, for the Capitals, and, and Ovechkin just straight up doesn't play those. Um, and when he was out there, you know, we saw what you know, my Babcock would call one of those heavy shifts, uh, where the Caps' top line got hemmed up in their own zone and ended up being a goal against. Uh, and that, you know, those two factors aside, um, you know, with with uh, Babcock having the last change and being able to get the matchups he wants uh, while while the series is in Toronto. Uh, Ovechkin should play more than that. Uh, he, uh, he, his ice time had been distinctly down, I think, more than two minutes per night this season, which kind of makes sense. You know, he's not a, a spring chicken anymore, a spring oven chicken anymore. Uh, he he you know, feasts on volume. Uh, Ovechkin's never been a, you know, a sharpshooter. He's not, you know, you're in and out every season 13% shooter. He, he makes his, his, his money on, the, uh, on, on volume, just putting tons and tons of shot on net. And, and Peter he's wasn't not sorry do that if he doesn't get a shift. Wasn't sort of the idea behind reducing his minutes all year is to have him ready to go for you know eighteen or nineteen minute nights in the playoffs? Yeah, you know my arms are, are I'm I'm flailing my arms, wondering what's going on, scratching my head just like you are. Um, you know Barry Trotz has, has given us some encouragement uh, for for Game Four, saying you know we're about to see the best game that the Caps can put up. I'm uh, eager to see that because we certainly didn't get that in Game Three, and the Caps aren't their best unless Alex Ovechkin's his best. And you're, you, you touched a little bit earlier on about the Kuznetsov-Matthews uh, matchup. And it's funny, before the series, I heard Barry Trotz talking about how they do trust 
Kuznetsov up, up against just about anyone in the league and how he, he thought he got a good effort out of them against McDavid at, um, during that matchup this season. And after what was a pretty good first game by that line and a pretty quiet first game by the Matthews line, it the story couldn't have changed any more starkly than it did in the last two. What do you think? Are you surprised at all by that? And what do you think is going on with why Matthews has, has had such a good run of the play against Kuznetsov so far? Yeah, and I don't mean this as a dig at Matthews, but I was stunned by how uh, how just completely inadequate the Caps' effort to shut him down was in, in in Game Three. He the 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 Matthews line just had a hall pass into the offensive zone. Once they got there, you know they were cycling for forty five seconds, putting pepper and shots on net and getting offensive zone faceoffs just nonstop. Uh, it was it was a it was a collapse by the Capitals, uh, especially in that third period, which is where the differential really got away from, from the Caps. Um, I think it really does come down to tactics. Uh, I, I think that uh, Mike, ba- Mike Babcock was a, had a, a much clearer, salient message about the transition game, and once you do, once you're off the transition game, uh, it seemed like the, uh, the Maple Leafs were more able to execute that game plan, especially when it comes to uh, the grind and cycle, whereas the Caps were were just not composed enough to get a clean breakout for you know, two of the three defensive pairings out there. And then once they you know got into neutral, they were chipping more than they were uh, carrying it in, which is just not something we see happening with the uh, with the Matthews line. They were you know harassing Holby's net the whole the whole game. And while the Capitals were generating their attempts from you know out there by the faceoff circles, we saw we saw Matthews not you know not not cherry picking, but he was certainly hanging out in the paint most of the night, and that's a scary sight to see for a team that intended to shut him down. Uh, what they're going to do to fix that in game four, I, I would say play better. It's about <laughs> as good as I can get with it. And you mentioned Holtby there. And I want before you go, I want to get your take on his place over this series. I guess he's let in 10 through three games. And the Leafs seem to have his number a little bit, even dating back to the regular season when uh, they chased him twice from the net. I wouldn't. The thing is, though, I wouldn't uh, attribute any sort of categorically weak goals on him through this series in my memory. Would you agree? Yeah, um, I, I, yes. Um, so Holtby, you know, historically has been maybe the best uh, playoff goalie of the last 15 years, which is nuts. Um, and through two games, he looked just like that. Uh, um, I think game three was an aberration. I think he was... He probably let 15% of the shots by, um, and, and Anderson wasn't so much better. I mean, that was a that was a poor goaltending game, or at least maybe a hot shooting game. What we saw, uh, especially in games uh, one and two, but also with that first uh, that Matthews goal off of uh, Nate Schmidt's uh, mask, uh, is there's been a whole lot of sort of uh, goofball Keystone cop stuff happening right before uh, goals, and uh, I mean that's sort of what the playoffs are all about, sort of breaking down how the game's being played and boiling it down into something that's more primal, but we saw players dropping their sticks in front of Holpe or uh, deflections off of skate blades. Uh, in other series, we've saw players get goals practically on deflection off a person's, you know, like eye orbital. Uh, it, it, it's been a weird playoff series with, you know, horrid things happening that are, are I'm sure, ghastly to defensive coaches. Uh, but I don't know if those are necessarily damning to the goalies themselves. Uh, I hope that we see fewer drop sticks and uh, you know deflections off of skate blades or deflections off of a freaking eye mask in in game four, uh, so that Holtby can put up that you know nine three nine four save percentage that we at this point expect of him, even though perhaps we should not. And Peter, one of the I've seen sort of on Twitter the narrative that 
the you know the ch- same old choking Capitals as sort of evidence to that point is their over their playoff overtime record in the last couple of years. And I guess in this series alone, they've now lost two or three in, in OT. But maybe you have the the record of the ready there. But I've, it's been a big problem for them. It seems like in my memory for three four years now. So do you still chalk that up to just luck and the breaks, or do you think you have sort of a better explanation than that at this point? Um, I, I don't have the uh, the numbers in front of me, but uh, I certainly have the same impression that you do. Uh, I don't think it's the same old choking caps that we've seen in the past, if only because every three or four years they find a different way to choke uh, in overtime or playoffs. But I, I think, you know, in general, like if, if you're playing your games on a one-goal margin, I know the NHL is low-scoring enough that you know, most games are set by one goal, but, you know, the the truly great teams are the ones that can routinely get themselves and hold on to two or three goal leads. And just getting to overtime means you're sort of surrendering unto chance the decision for that game. Uh, you know, a weird bounce. You know, Evgeny Kuznetsov could have won that game when that, that yawning net was open, and he, he rang the post. But because it was a one-goal game, fate chance got to decide rather than, you know, uh, the, the, the supposedly better team running up the score. And because the Caps haven't had, you know, call it killer instinct or whatever you want to call it, have the uh, temerity or boldness to to run up the score to play their best hockey, which is you know um, grind them down, tons of offense, then you know they 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 are a more meek team, and and meek teams, you know, make their 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 legacy on luck, on the flip of the coin. Dale Hunter's Caps did that; they were known for for turtling during his season there. Uh, Adam Oates' caps were lucky to make the playoffs at all. Barry Trotz's caps are, are, are sound, and they're a better team than we've seen you know, perhaps ever. But if, if they're not willing to get the game decided before the, the, you know, the, the third buzzer, uh, it, it's, it's the, the, the chance for choking is uh, it's, it's partially not up to them anymore. You know, some shots are just going to go in, and, and hopefully it's the one on your stick. But you know, it doesn't always have to be that way. And sort of just wrapping up here, it really feels now that if the Leafs do take Game Four, sort of that avalanche of pressure we were talking about just sort of, you know, officially engulf the team, and it's probably over at that point. How do you think Game Four goes in terms of response from the Capitals on Wednesday? I think you're going to see a furious Caps team uh, in that uh, after that first puck drop in the first period, um, but you know that that initial effort won't be enough to sustain them through 60 minutes. It's going to have to come down to more than just passion. And with you know the Leafs getting last change and getting to choose the matchups in most cases, uh, it it really is going to be like uh, you know individual uh, individual effort sort of sustaining the team through uh, the rest of the day, uh, for the rest of the game. The uh, you know it you're talking about that avalanche of pressure and that would come after Game Four um, for the Caps for Caps fans going down three one is you know tantamount to having lost already. <laughs> so that pressure's on them now. Uh, that that pressure's been on them since they went into overtime last night. Uh, so I, w- you know, whether Barry Trotz or smartens up and uses Dmitry Orlov more against uh, uh, the uh, the Matthews line, whether he puts Ovechkin out on the ice more, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. But uh, it's it's already dark days. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Peter, thank you so much for your time today. And I know Alec might not want to, but I will wish you good luck the rest of the way 
No, I will take that. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. That was Peter Hassett of Russian Machine Never Breaks. You can find him and the rest of the squad at Russian Machine on Twitter and RussianMachineNeverBreaks.com. Coming up, Alec and I will finish up our Leafs discussion and chat Sens and Bruins as well. Welcome back. Now to finish up our Leafs chat, expert hockey analyst and the always correct Don Cherry had some choice words for Nikita Zaitsev, or as he likes to call him, Nikki uh, Satsoff, I believe. Alec, how have you seen his play through one game? And I mean, you don't have to really say much, but to argue Don's point, is he actually a defenseman? It just <laughs> blows my mind that that was his that was his argument. Like he's not even a defenseman. <laughs> just incredible. The uh, last night, I thought obviously he was loose on Ovechkin on both of those goals, but the plus minus point is something that I knew yeah, Don was going to bring up and like f- within thirty seconds of the segment starting. And yeah. the funny thing is, it's like he he's last on minuses. Well, I mean Don, he's last on plus minus, but good good try, good try. Yeah, but. Look, I'm pretty sure uh, almost entirely all of those minuses all came within about a 25-game span where Riley got hurt there. I'd have to go and look at it, but I'm pretty sure almost all of that was made up in basically two months where Riley got hurt and they seemed to be completely out of sync. And I'm not going like, I'm, I'm to argue that Zaitsev still has some learning to do without the puck. Like he's just his first year in the league and he's playing an absurdly tough role for someone who's just broken and broken into the NHL but if the Leafs had lost Polak for that game one and didn't have Zaitsev coming back not only would they be screwed they'd have almost no defenseman like in terms of their depth on the right side but they'd have no defenseman on that back end who plays with sort of any sort of edge to his game and like yeah Zaitsev played OV poorly in the first five minutes for two goals against I'm sure he'd I'm sure he'd like those back, but I'm I'm also sure that I'm glad they have someone like that who can get in Ovechkin's space and play him physical going forward in this series because I don't they would have been running I guess they would have been running Riley Marchenko Marinson down the right on his offside so the fact that he's come back is is a lifesaver for the Leafs. Mm-hmm. I, I mean you know I watched I watched a bit of the game and it's just like they were horrendous plays but. You also kind of just, like, why wouldn't you just want to give the guy kind of a bit of a break? It's his first game back. Hopping into playoff hockey is not something that's easily done, especially by someone who is, it's their first time ever playing NHL playoff hockey. Um, I want to get your your final thoughts on on the Leafs here and just overall. I mean, they're up 2-1 to one in the series. They've won two straight games. In my opinion, they've played consistently well. Is this sustainable and... Yeah, you know what? I don't think they're going to walk over the Caps for the next two games and win the series in five. But do they have? Have their have, have, I Because I think their chances have never looked better. What are your, what's your opinion? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the blue line, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense on paper. Just how? I mean, the Capitals scored three goals apiece in the last two games. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Riley and Gardner have definitely found new levels to their games that I don't think any of any least fan anticipated to this degree, um, especially given the way Riley kind of wrapped up the year. And then they're getting Matt Hunmick playing way above his head. And I think Babcock has done a really good job of getting the play within their sort of limitations. You know, they get out of their zone quickly. So whether that's Riley or Gardner breaking it out, or if they get in trouble, it's just a high and out. They live to fight another day. And then the Caps are kind of, I think the Caps are kind of having a deja vu right now to the fits that the Pens gave them last year in terms of their quickness in every zone. And 
they don't look like they have any real answers for the depth of the Leafs' attack. Like, last night, it was the Matthews line absolutely dominating the Kuznetsov matchup. Next time, it could be Marner and JVR and Bozak, who were good in the, you know, on the road in the first two games. Kadri c- continues to play Backstrom's line basically to a wash, which is everything you want more. And you know what? They're getting under their skin, too. Abs- absolutely, yeah. Definitely. That was and one of the biggest talking points, actually, in the Caps. Leo Komarov on draws yeah. is hilarious to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, Kadri's... Kadri's troll game is is excellent in his post games. Have you heard him? That this is just fun for us. Oh my god, yeah, um, it's incredible. And I think I think Babcock's done a really good job setting the tone that way in terms of the Leafs playing so loosely right mm-hmm. off the hop. Like wh- the way they came out for Game One, I never would have anticipated that they'd look as like as good as they did right away in this series. I thought they could kind of play their way into it uh, as they kind of yeah yeah exactly. You know what I mean? They haven't but, really missed a beat. Is it is it weird for me to say that Game Four is kind of actually a must win? Because, I mean, you've got momentum right now. Yes, things are going great. They've played well consistently for three games. But if you lose game four, you've lost home ice advantage right away, and the Caps can get on a roll. I, th- I, think, this game- I think this series is going seven either way. Yeah. I really do. And Oh, I'm excited. That uh, just, I know. It's going to be that's awesome. That's going to be so, so fun. And if, and if it goes to OT, then I, get, I don't think I'm going to survive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, we, we talked about this, this off air, but uh, the Sens and Bruins... Um, uh, two out of three OTs, and the uh, the Caps and, and Leafs haven't played a game that hasn't gone to OT. And we were, I was looking the other day, and I believe it was 23% of uh, of games in the regular season go to overtime around that. It it, wa- it wavers between 22.5 and 24% the past, like, friggin' seven or eight years. And right now, I believe it's at 45%. In uh, Now, obviously, we've only played three games in every single series, but... Holy crap, that's a lot. And it was funny because our friend Bill Burr, we both enjoy him, tweeted out the other day, this has been the greatest first round and maybe even the greatest playoffs yeah, he's in a, NHL is, history is, is so he, far. Is he even a Leafs fan? He, no, he's a huge Bruins fan. Oh, yeah? And it's funny he's because... Seen, but like, the thing, the Leafs are must-watch theater right now, and I think the they are... Even Ian Mendez, I thought, had a great tweet about this last night. That, that they're the best uh, yeah, like, story. They're yeah. the best story of the first no matter round. What, yeah. And yeah, I agree with like, it. You, you mentioned... I mean, when, we were, when we were on last time, that the first game was kind of a letdown from a entertainment standpoint. That's changed. The first game Boston. of Boston and That's, Ottawa, or Toronto? no, in Toronto, Washington. Toronto, Washington. That's changed in a big way yeah. in the last Especially two games. Especially the been winner, amazing like, games. Yeah, just some of the best hockey. And I can say that for for Ottawa, Boston too. I mean, they, even if it was a two-one game in the first, there, that was an eventful game. The shots weren't up there, but I've just never seen hockey like this before. I've never seen the Sens play like this before, and. It's funny, you could make the argument that both teams, you know, could actually be up 3-0 in the series right now because oh, yeah. of the collapses for both of them. But Ottawa has consistently outplayed them. So let's get to that side of um, of both of our series here. Uh, and we talked about this off, off air, but I want to bring it up again. Dion Phaneuf said his winner in Game 2 was the biggest goal he's ever scored. <laughs> now, I think you disagree with that. I, I, I respect the fact that he's turned to the dark side and he has to say things like that now. But The dark side. Where he can actually That's, sleep it's, it's at night. Just, it's objectively untrue. <laughs> like, it, we all remember, Leafs fans do, when I guess he actually, what, his, his terrible pinch in overtime was actually game four. Well, they I were said, at, they were at home. Game before, they were at home, so it was, it was yeah. game four, yeah. And that was when they went down 3-1. Which led to the, the overtime goal. Over yeah. Krejci scored Dion's that, probably right? never taken more heat, and man, did he take heat when yeah. he was here. Then after that game, 
and then they forced five to get sorry they forced six to get it back home and Phaneuf I think it was halfway through the third maybe even a little bit later I think it was later kind of made his way down to the to the front of the net in front of Boston uh set it in front of Tuka Rask and tipped the puck in off of whose point shot was that guards anyway and just he's just like this primal scream of a celebration so speaking of another center's defenseman uh and I mean, you know, even if you're a Sharks fan or a Bruins fan or a Leafs fan or whatever, I think it's fair to say that, and it hasn't been like this for a while. Like, there have been a couple defensemen that have challenged Eric Carlson, Drew Doughty, Duncan Keith, Brent Burns over the past few years. But Eric Carlson is showing that in the last third of the season, now in the playoffs, that he is outrightly the best defenseman on the planet the best offensive defenseman on the planet but also the best all-around defenseman on the planet how much have you seen of him in this series and I, I know you've seen the goals the the unreal iconic goals that are going to actually be etched in center's history already like i ian mendez actually speak of the devil we just talked about him twice he wrote a, a really good column about how um you know daniel alfredson had a an outstanding tremendous series turning franchise turning goal obviously to send them to the to the stanley cup finals now eric carlson has one of those and you know what he actually might have two of those now like uh, against boston when in game three what have you seen from his play so far and, and how how much is he impressing you in that uh when they're coming from behind victory game two the that moment when he went behind the net to collect the puck from anderson and anderson flaked on oh. it and broussard i guess didn't put in as much effort as he could have to recover and he blew up on the bench, and then mm-hmm. the right at Broussard. Yeah, they came. They came back out afterwards, and was it Phaneuf? Someone took a bad penalty. Probably no, Phaneuf. MacArthur, MacArthur took a bad penalty. Oh, you know what? The cross check. Yeah, and then yeah. he tried to go after him. Yeah. Yeah. Feisty, my God. Yeah, he threw a couple of like borderline yeah. hits in that. It was, uh, he's playing really he's well. Clearly feeling too. it. Yeah. yeah. The uh, fearless. And I was like, this is, this is going to be a great opportunity for the same old cast of characters to dump on Eric Carlson after this game mm-hmm. because the Sens look like they've lost their composure. They're going to go down. They're going to lose this game. And what should put them down 2 nothing yeah. series is probably over going back to Boston. And he comes out in the third period. And just and completely takes the game over. Completely takes the game over. Amazing goal setting up the guy he power beamed out in the, in the previous period. Yeah, yeah exactly. Isn't that perfect, too? Yeah, they pretty, see yeah. each other and they give each other a little smooch. Like, oh, it's just perfect theater. Yeah. And what a call. I, I know everyone, everyone has been on Bob Cole the past, you know, I mean, few years, and especially in this series, um, because he's had some suspect, suspect calls. But what a call from him. I just, I just absolutely love that call from Bob Cole, and it's just, it was so iconic because we've seen that so many times from Eric Carlson, him go around everyone, skate the blue line. Oh my God, is he ever good at scaling the blue line and, and keeping the puck away? Just like, and he teases you too. League, he just yeah. teases you with that. And but it was the first time we saw him do that in an absolutely important game. It was funny and one, that, uh, like they tie the game, go into overtime and score, and obviously Fanuf scores the second best goal of that, his career. That Hoffman airmail pass last night was like. When I first saw it, I was like, uh, wow, that's a really well-taken pass from Mike Hoffman. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, it actually wasn't. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it took some skill yeah. to take that pass. But Eric Carlson landed that on a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> to I the think, point where you like, know what? it looked like a pretty casual pass reception. I've watched, I've watched it a couple times. Actually, that's a lie. I've watched it probably 43 times. I think it hit his stick before it hit the ice. 
Jeez. I seriously think I've zoomed in a couple times. I think it hit the blade of his stick before it hit the ice. And uh, the definition of a perfect saucer pass. I take it that the Hoffman thing, I could be wrong, but I don't think he was an overly productive player in the like coming in, didn't he have one goal in the seven or eight playoff had, games? Oh, uh, in so the playoffs, a, the only goal he scored was against the Habs um, when they were down three nothing. I was actually at that game. Uh, it was their their comeback. They started a comeback. Actually, should have forced us at game seven. That's another conversation for another day. Um, but I, I, to touch on Mike Hoffman's play, I think he has he didn't show up for the first two games, which was a shame because they really could have used that offensive power in game one um, and really could have used it to you know create even more of a space between them and the Bruins in game two but he was phenomenal in uh, game three um, now on to goaltending yeah I was I just just seen the highlight clips so you tell me better because unfortunately we couldn't watch both games last night because those were two of the better games of the playoffs so far I think but seems odd to me that you know Rask was so good down the stretch. Unbelievable down the stretch. Anderson, really the reason why they made the playoffs. Anderson just had a, an obscenely impressive season for how mm-hmm. all of what he went through and how disjointed percentage. his year was for an, with really unfortunate circumstances. What's gone on there? Because Anderson's definitely below 900. I imagine Rask is now too. They are both actually. Uh, out of the 17 goalies that have played one game um, because... Um, uh, Gibson's backup, Jonathan Bernier, came in and played one game. Of the 17 goalies that have played one game in the playoffs, Craig Anderson is 16th, 8.92 save percentage, and Rask is 14th with an 8.98 save percentage. Now, Rask's numbers don't look great, but I honestly think he has played really well, and he's been one of the reasons why uh, the Bruins are actually in this series. It's weird how it goes both ways, but in my opinion, the reason why it isn't three nothing Senators is because of Tuka Rask. Um, I think the centers have done an extremely good job of getting in front of them and an extremely good job of moving the puck and an extremely good job of finishing plays. Um, I, I, I don't think I've seen this forward core this good. And it is because they're healthy. It is because Chris Kelly's been pushed out. It is because Tommy Wingles has been pushed out. It is because Chris Neal will never play another game for the Ottawa centers. Um, it is because all these other players that have are older and that are slower and that don't have the skill are being pushed out for guys like like if you can have Victor Stahlberg play on your fourth line like that's a pretty damn good fourth line and I know he's been up and down since fans will say well he played in the top six last game well I, I, I get it but he's he's a fourth line player on this team and when you have guys like that when you have a guy like Alex Burroughs who has not played that well but still can have a good presence in your bottom six like they are a force to be reckoned with right now they have outplayed the Bruins offensively I believe just tremendously. And I don't think they're getting a lot of breaks, actually. I think Rask has played unbelievably well. And then on Anderson's side of it, uh, the, the I guess the Bruins' top line, I mean, it's not like they've been mouse quiet, but they've yeah they've been limited so, through through three games. Is, is that Anderson, or is that a uh, is that matchup just so well it's, played? I, by I mean, to touch on Anderson, I think he's he's been good when they really needed him. But when they've had leads and when they didn't really need great goaltending, when you kind of just needed a guy to stand there, he has had three gaffes, three horrendous gaffes so far. That shorthanded goal um, that nearly almost cost them game two um, was just like just so embarrassing. I mean, I get it. Broussard should have probably come back. Maybe Carlson should have been in a better position, but play the puck better. Um, then last night, uh, I don't know if you saw, but the goal for the point shot it looked like he was a 1950s goalie that had barely any padding. He was afraid to get hit by the puck. Oh, like when he, it was deflected through his legs? Yes, yes. And it's just like and his his right leg went behind his back leg. So 
he's made a couple of horrible mistakes and he's almost lost them a couple of games. But then you look at the other side of things and when they've needed him the most, like last night in the third period, lights out. Made a handful of outstanding saves. When they've needed him to keep a game close, like in game one, he's been able to do that. And in game two, of course, he was he was great as well when they've needed him. But it's just like, I, I'm just looking how at how well the forwards are playing. And if Anderson had more composure in times where they simply just need one save, they outshot the Bruins 12-0 in the second period of game one. Yeah. They've outshot them, I believe they outshot them 10 to 3 in the first period of game 3. Like they've been doing this consistently and then they have then they just get a back a back breaking moment from Anderson. Now uh, to touch on the Bergeron Marchand Pasternak line that you brought up. I think Ottawa's doing an all right job of them uh, of containing them, but they're getting their chances and they have these shifts where they just completely dominate. And I think one of the reasons why is um, Guy Boucher is, is not handling that line very well. He's putting out Jean-Gabriel Pajot and Tom Pyatt. Now, I think Pajot is a pretty good defensive forward. Having said that, though, he hasn't been on his game this season, and I think he's getting eaten up by bigger forwards, more skilled forwards. The other side of that, too, is Cody Ceci and Dion Phaneuf. Now, I want to talk about Cody Ceci on his own. He's a minus 26 Corsi already through, through three <laughs> games. Oh, yeah. He's been the worst defenseman uh, possession-wise every single game, not just overall, every single game. And while you have that matchup where CC is able to match the speed, he's not able to match them for the breakout. He's not able to consistently hold it in at the blue line. Um, he's not able to do these things with the puck. So you have that, right? He's able to match the speed, and he's not able to do many things with the puck. And then you flip it around, and Dion Phaneuf can't catch up to Brad Marchand. They make they make him look like he's spinning around in the defensive zone. Although I do think sounds familiar, playing all right. actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, but then you have Fanuf that who is able to make uh, outstanding breakout passes and who has been pretty good. D he's to good D. on the offensive blue line. And the yeah. off- exactly, and he has a goal, uh, second best goal of his career for the second time. I've said that tonight. Um, but it's just a, a horrible combination. And I think you know what we saw this in Game Three. They were putting uh, they were double shifting Carlson with Harper. Mathot and Phaneuf and I said double but I guess you could say triple um, he played 30 above 30 minutes in just I believe they only played like a minute and a half in overtime so basically 30 minutes in a regulation um, setting so I think Boucher is kind of learning right now that because Carlson's on his game so much and apparently he's 150, 150% I think he's at 75% right now actually it looks like he has both injured legs that was a rumor going around um, but because Eric Carlson's playing out of his mind, I think that's enabled him to put him with Funuf a couple times um, and, you know, give CC some minutes with either like Weidman or Mathot, um, because I, I think that's one of the things they really need to focus on. Um, and just to finish up here. Uh, do, you, do you see it going deep still? Yeah. You, you, you I, told me you, want, you, you saw six, you saw seven. I called, seven. oh, I said Bruins in seven just because seven. I like to bet against the Sens. So, you know. I'm not happy either way, but at least, you know, I can, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, fair enough. you know, um, I, I honestly, if I, if I'm going to knock on wood right now, I, I think the Sens actually have definitely the upper hand right now and they're playing well. They're going back home very soon. They could even steal another game in Boston. Um, I think the Sens do win this series now that they've played so well through three games. Um, but the Bruins just have this, this air to them that that one line, that Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak line, who makers. is, yeah. for you nerds out there, they're rolling at 58% Corsi right now. They have two really key goals at 5v5. Uh, Bergeron, I think, also has another one on the power play. Uh, Marchand's been really good on, on the penalty kill. That line is so unbelievably um, resilient, and they're so dominant, and they're so key to that team, whether it's power play, penalty kill, 
or even strength, which is, which is just incredible, really, to think like that one line can uh, affect a game in all three uh, strengths, really. But I think they're doing an all right job of containing them. And if they can keep doing that, I think the Sens have this Would in the Would you bag. keep the matchup the same? God, no. My God. But I, you know what? It's weird, too, because... Well, what, is, what are the other options? If well, you... Yeah, well, I, you know what? I think Weidman, has, Weidman and Mathot, um, if you put them against the Barosha online, I don't know if together, I don't know if that would work together. But if you have them two um, going up against the Barosha online, you know, on and off, I think that works better because Mathot even though he's a bit injured right now, and it looks like he's actually kind of holding back a bit. He has been really good, and you need a guy like that that can just be relentless in the defensive zone. Just to finish it up here, I think if the Senators get 9-10 goaltending, if they get anything just below what Anderson's been able to give them throughout the season, if they get average goaltending from now on in, and if CeCe and Phaneuf can step up their game just a bit, because I do not see the forwards slacking. I do not see them, them tailing off. They're just too good right now. They're too healthy. Um, I think the Senators have this wrapped up. All right, that does it for another edition of the Battle of Ontario. Thank you so much for tuning in on Maple Leaf Hot Stove, SB Nation's Silver 7, iTunes, and on SoundCloud. And Alec, happy belated anniversary, my friend. It's now been just over a year since we started doing this whole thing. So here's to many more. I've been Callum Fraser. He's been Alec Brownscombe. And you've been listening to the Battle of Ontario. We'll see you soon.